Before you know it, she talks. Before you know it, she walks. Before you know it, she knows you. Before you know it, she has a heart. Before you know you're pregnant, when your baby's no bigger than a grain of rice. Before she's a twinkle in your eye, that's when you need to take folic acid every day. After that, it's too late to prevent some serious birth defects. Folic acid now, before you know it.
knees The enemy on my back beat me down to my knees Lord please, somebody needs to help him When I see him he will have to learn a lesson I'm not stressing, I'ma get straight to the point Why the devil looking mad and really annoyed Cause he knows the power we possess Is the type that lays demons to rest Yes I'm blessed and I'm covered with God's grace Forget trying to get our buddy buddy in my face I got the holy heat strap cocked ready to blow All the enemy has to say is when they wanna go I'ma give you a gospel threat Ain't no relaxing Once the Bible cracks open, man, that's what's happening We're God chosen at work, yo, we ain't playing Everybody knows where the enemy will be laying So you think it's funny? Well then, here we go Mm-hmm People everywhere all around the world, listen up, you boys and girls. You listen to this and you listen to that. The kingdom is here and that's the rap. Mmm, yeah. That's the rap. The kingdom is here and that's the rap. Boys chasing this and girls chasing that. Ignoring the voice of the Lord. Mmm. And just like that, that's the rap. Just like that, that's the rap. People everywhere, all around the world, there's a new sound going out to the boys and the girls around the world. The king of our hearts is given a final world. It's a curtain call. For the boys and the girls, there's a wind blowing now around the earth. Yeah, throughout the earth. Throughout the earth. It's a new sound going out. Yeah. It's going out throughout the earth. And that's the rap. Just like that. And that's the rap. That's the rap, yeah, that's the rap. That's the rap. And that's the rap. You listen to this and you listen to that. The kingdom is near and that's the rap. Yeah. That's the rap. Listen to this new sound. Coming down from the throne of God. Yeah. And that's the rap. Mm, and that's the rap. Just like that. And that's the rap. Yeah, that's the rap. There's a new sound going out to the boys and the girls. And that's. That's the rap. Yeah, and just like that. And that's the round. Hello, good day. This is Dr. Shirley Kenneth here. And um, we are um, coming into our 12th um, edition of... Uh, the Kingdom Warriors, actually the New Kingdom Warriors, 
and uh, the Joshua Connection uh, New Wine NFT uh, Community Podcast Project. And uh, we are going to take a little, uh, I want to say detour, um, because we're coming into a time of Thanksgiving here in the United States that um, usually it's a time of giving thanks and praise to our Lord for the, the good things that he has done here in this country. But amidst um, turmoil, um, uh, in some instances racial unrest, uh, and which puts... Um, you know, people like believers, uh, I'm a Christian, uh, and Christians come from all walks of life, all cultural nuances, um, and pretty much uh, always, always, always remain um, aloof to the uh, interactions between the different cultures and also um, different um, opinions when it comes to the issues of restorative justice, when it relates to um, people who are wrongfully incarcerated that happen to be African Americans. Need I say any more? I'm a chaplain and I also am um, uh, also an integrative healthcare specialist. And the Joshua Connection part of um, this. Um, of what I've been called to as a chaplain is to uh, combine the Joshua Connection self-care set of interventions and strategies for building back better families uh, that are more prone to, uh, to these different kinds of uh, chronic traumatic setbacks that may not be um, a component of the rugged, individualistic um, uh, freedom of choice that people oftentimes boast about here in um, the American political circles, but maybe be, uh, be just because of the way that um, a particular culture is perceived or um, unmet um, and unhealed uh, cultural, social injustices that may have made a certain cultural group victims, um, and uh, we're, you know, regarding slavery, uh, if you're from the American Indian background, um, which I have, I'm a combination of <laughs> we have Cape Verdean ancestry, but. There's some uh, African overtones, and even though 30% of me is from Great Britain, um, the other parts are, you know, 19% Italian, 40% uh, uh, African from the Tanzania side, but obviously some of that African um, ancestry was brought over here, probably against the will of my ancestors that uh, were, you know, joyfully... Um, <laughs> living the life back in Africa um, during the times of the 1600s. That's the other side, 
The other side was the ones that came over as pilgrims. So I got a, a mixture of just just about everything in my um, cultural identity. Um, and uh, we had the luxury of having uh, 23 and, and me genetic study, with, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, and uh, we, we found out many things. I did it primarily to find out um, my genetic makeup regarding my metabolism. <laughs> and I found out all these other things. Because so I thought Ancestry.com handled one thing and... Uh, 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 23andMe handled the actual individual um, genetic uh, um, health care <laughs> uh, other side to you know, the genetic composition of who we are as people. So anyways, um, I am going to dedicate this podcast to understanding the nuances of restorative justice is because this is what's needed in these situations. But I have to break it down to the components of um, what the biblical narrative is and what the socio-economic uh, cultural understanding of restorative justice and and how it works and what people are trying to do. Now, please do not get this mixed up with critical race theory. It has nothing to do with that, okay? Um, I'm going to be interviewing a colleague of mine in the um, second half of the show um, after we understand uh, what the issues of social justice is all about um, and where uh, we we should be where we should be um, as a culture of Americans that espouse the Christian um, uh, social justice um, uh, morality, concept of morality, um, as uh, meted out in the Gospels. I'm um, coming from a chaplain perspective, but, you know, it has been said that uh, America was founded on Judeo-Christian values, but when push comes to shove, um, the application of biblical values um, pretty much gets thrown out the window when it comes to uh, uh, issues related to um, injustice of uh, on the cultural side of things. I hope I'm saying that right. Okay. Um, so anyways, what is restorative justice? All right. Oh, before I go further. So my friend and colleague, Linda, <laughs> Linda um, Solomon uh, and I had met up with each other 30 years ago. We went to the same school. We um, had the same major. And she was working in a program called Upward Bound. She always had this social justice stance about her and always wanted to um, see where, you know, where the disparities were and uh, work in a program that could um, actually uh, provide um, the platform. But back then they didn't even call it platform, but the milieu, the environment to um, navigate uh, an uh, individual to 
to put aside the cultural stereotypical um, expectation on school performance uh, for um, African Americans at that point. There was more of emphasis placed on minority, but as time moves on, it just seems like that the, the the name minority is kind of being phased out now with um, many, many um, cultural diversity coming into play here. Um, uh, and it's good because, uh, you know, when you have a plethora of cultural um, diversity coming together, you, you can appreciate um, the gifts that uh, this uh, diversity can bring um, when it lines up uh, with uh, the cause of Christ, okay? So, um, and how can we, you know, as a, 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 a culture of, you know, that's, that wants, the, you know, goodness, the goodness of God in the land of the living as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ. How can we, uh, how God, how can we partner with the Holy Spirit to transition, um, to allow us to be the bridge and the gap, to transition um, people to a greater understanding as to um, how Christians can be effective in this area that we're called to? And because Jesus does say, um, do, do visit the prisoners, you know, and he does, you know, go, he does really take it very, very seriously when, you know, when people do um, practice the understanding of the image of God in mankind and what does that look like, all right? It, 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 it's hard to, um, to, for some people, it's hard to understand how God's image is imprinted even in the meek and the lowly. But, uh, you know, let's let's read before we go into anything. I'm going to, let's go into Matthew. I believe it's, I want to say Matthew 5. Matthew 5 in the New Testament, uh, the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start with the Beatitudes. This is a good place to start. Uh, uh, as we approach Thanksgiving, okay, and uh, this is good regarding uh, social justice. Okay, it's it's, and I think that once uh, we understand how we can apply it uh, in ministry as well in the ministry of suffering, which many are called to, that's the only way we can find out who we are and who we are not, and why we need a Savior, and our, you know, especially um, in our weakness, you know, and uh, many people inherit that. Um, it's, it's on, and it's good to uh, uh, go and um, go to uh, 23andMe and, and get that test, because they analyze things psychologically, uh, and I wish there was a spiritual side to this, but if you know, uh, if you have an understanding of where your family came from, um, where your relatives came from, and what, you know, was in the background psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, regarding the medical uh, areas of life, and 
and where they lived, you can kind of understand um, where your struggles are, and 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 uh, then you can see more clearly and turn it over to God if it's something that keeps you from um, living your calling that the Lord has for you. All right, so let's go to the Beatitudes. Yes, yes, Matthew five. Okay, here we go. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up, and this is Jesus now, <laughs> he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus' righteousness, not just man, not just any kind of righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. One of the names of the Lord is that uh, he is righteousness. Okay? For this is the kingdom of God. So bless, let's go back to this last part. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For this is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and this is really hard right and falsely saying all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you um, yeah and it's so hard when you are misunderstood and you understand you know, and you hear lies about you and you want to just you know you become offended you want to defend yourself but it's you know when you know who you know who the truth is when you know what's going on you know in the spiritual warfare some of it's psychological warfare some of it's spiritual warfare most of it's spiritual warfare because the spirit um every anything that gets translated and to the natural, when you see it played out in front of your eyes, usually has a spiritual root and component to it that is unseen to the natural eye, okay, or or un, you know, or unheard to the natural ear. Um, yeah. So um, that is um, uh, that is that in a nutshell. Um, and. You know, uh, and Jesus says we have to love our enemy. So if even if we per perceived people to be our enemy, who are supposed to be made in the image of God, there should be no enemies at all. But we're, we live in a fallen world, and if people don't receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and receive the Holy Spirit um, as the Comforter and to bring us into all truth, we are definitely going to be you know, pretty much um, uh, not perceiving uh, uh, life the way in which we have been called to as Christians. So let's go to 
another part of Matthew 5, uh, verse uh, 43 um, to 47. Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, and that's really pretty much what the world system um, um, does. <laughs> uh, so you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, um, this is big stuff. And this is what's behind... Um, Restorative justice. Um, there's a movement. It's the restorative justice movement. It's, it um, stems from the Innocence Project. And Linda, at the bottom of the hour, is going to talk about um, that in great detail and, and the work that she does. Okay. So, um, how I bumped into Linda, now this is a good thing, um, during the pandemic when the whole world stopped because of that tiny, teeny, weeny, teeny little virus that seemed to have done a whole lot. And um, what happened was, um, you know, when I went to school, it was in Worcester, Worcester State. That's where I met her, the western side of the state. And she was from the Boston area. I was from Whitman, greater Boston, at the time, okay? And so years later, she has four kids. I have four kids. She's, you know, after she, she we graduated, we graduated the same year uh, in psychology. Um, she, I believe, it was G uh, June 1983. She, she actually went to school out in, I think, down south somewhere. I think it was South Carolina. Um, if I'm not, South or North Carolina. One of the Carolinas. And uh, and then her husband got sick. Um and when she came, she she came back to bring him to one of the local area hospitals, as you will tell, um, as she will be talking about um, in the interview, in the lengthy interview. Uh, and she um, was, because she was familiar with the area, people knew she was in the area, there was a job offer to her in one of the Boston public schools. And so she became a, a teacher. Okay. And enjoyed that for years. Um, you know, her husband did pass on, um, and she was raising the kids herself. Um, I pretty much was raising my kids myself, four of, my, of, of them. Um, and you know, when situations didn't work out, and um, I had uh, we had pretty much similar paths, but she had a greater circle of support around her, and she'll talk about that. Um, I didn't okay because a lot of things were were not right that would you know done to me that were not right when I was younger and so I had to cut the ties in order to survive psychologically mentally spiritually emotionally um, and intellectually right while I was in school so um 
we are going to fast forward to now. So during the pandemic, which was, you know, the throes of the pandemic, which was three years ago, and my husband and I, you know, we were at, um, at the, um, we were married 20 years. Uh, we were, we had moved from, because we had to be there for my granddaughter and raise her for a couple of years. Um, we were at Melrose and then we moved back. That was North Shore. And then we moved back to the South Shore region to, to meet the need. And then that's when the pandemic hit. Um, probably two years into the pandemic, when we, whenever, you know, as the state was opening up little by little, the, as the world was, and then the state of Massachusetts was, you know, we could definitely go, you know, to make our appointments. And a couple of times I bumped into Linda. And uh, we exchanged, the first time we exchanged numbers, uh, and it went, a year went by, no, but there was no call. But then um, one time I went into the Goodwill in Quincy after I released my granddaughter back to my daughter, <laughs> and because they live right down the street from Goodwill. And I thought, I said to my daughter, oh my gosh, I think I see Linda. I, I think I'm supposed to be going into Goodwill. And uh, so I did. After I dropped her off to her, after I dropped my daughter off to her house, and uh, and I went back to Goodwill because my husband was in Goodwill, and I couldn't believe it. It was Linda there. Then I began to tell her what I do with the media and everything, and and I wanted to find out more about what she was doing. She had a little bit more time, and uh, she began to tell me what she was doing that she which she uh you could only say so much in the public so she did give me her phone number and i i gave her mine and i said now this time we're going to put it in our phone so we can connect with each other because i said i'd like to have you on my podcast which i actually did <laughs> i did i said what i was going to do um and uh, she started telling me about a, a program that she has on youtube called confronting injustice and basically, um, her uh, her partner now, which was her high school sweetheart before she actually got married to the man that she had kids with, um, that you know he was the you know wrongfully and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was wrongfully accused of murder, and she was in jail for forty one years. And they knew who it really was. It was one of those code cases. She's going to talk more about that. But um, at that time, they did not have the Innocent Project. They did not have the restorative. They didn't even know what restorative justice was. They didn't have that. Uh, you know, this notion of restorative justice does come out of Canada and, and the, chap the Chaplain Canada Corporation up in Canada. Um, they have this as part of a chaplain's training to... Uh, you know, work uh, in collaboration with the court and the justice system of the court and the uh, penal system um, as well regarding people that have been wrongfully incarcerated, first of all, and all those who have done the time and now need to be transitioned into society. So it works both ways. So uh, the definition before we go um, into the bottom of the hour, bottom half of the hour, uh, restorative justice, the, technically, the definition for this is 
is, is, is a theory of justice that focuses on repairing the harm caused by crime, wrongdoing, injustice, or conflict. It aims to restore the well-being of all those involved. And the reason why I'm bringing it into this podcast is because we as Christians and as believers, we need, this is a ministry that's so underdeveloped. But, you know, I really believe it's for the chaplains to, and you know, to come under it and steward this and be able to train up others within the body of Christ, within the church bodies, within parachurch ministries, anywhere where there's, you know, two or three believers um, that are there. Now, it seems that, you know, we, are, we have a couple of strongholds here in America, but, you know, as, as time goes on and as we understand uh, this, you know, you know, understand when an injustice happens and how to confront it, then uh, without, without judging, because injustice, Really, it's got a spiritual component to it. There's spiritual warfare as part of that, and at the same time, you know, uh, it's 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 built upon human weakness. So, uh, where there's a victim, a part to it, and the offenders, part to it. Okay, um, and there may be uh, communities of support that are inadequately. Um, uh, develop in the individual's life that open themselves up to, that allow individuals and or groups of people open themselves up to um, not fully understanding um, who they are associating with and what they are capable of doing. Um, and, and it could set them up to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and to get wrongfully accused. So um, there's three parts to this um, and so the community of cares could be uh, healthy or it can be unhealthy. So in this, um, on the outside circles of, you know, these co-centric circles coming together where restorative justice is pretty much the mainstay, it's in the cent- it's the central, I'm looking at a Venn diagram, it's in this, it's the center of where these uh, different aspects of relationships um, in a um, situation that is uh, uh, questionable, you know, um, you know, regarding um, the, you know, that, that lacks um, uh, the community conference and restorative dialogue and peacemaking circles. Okay, so this is what's outside of the peacemaking circles, the restorative justice aspect of, you know, where people should be at all times within any given situation when it's a human to human relationship, whether it be two or three people. In Christianity, what's that? The ecclesia, the church, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is there. In this case, where where Jesus is not you know, there, the, you know, there's uh, always going to be a victim part, an offender part, and an inadequate community um, uh, that has, you know, that's pretty much focused on uh, the pleasure principle, on the selfishness um, part to, um, you know, relationships, the me, the me first people. So the victims, um, 
in in this circle where people you know there are are trying to come out and transition in, from being a victim to being restored um, you the, the victim has these things going on they focus on the, and what you want to do is you want to focus on the needs of the victim and, and the harm is repaired so there's a victim part offender part and community care you know, what you want to do as you approach the inner circle or the restorative justice part of um, this is uh, you know you want to focus on the need of the victim what their real need is um, harm is, re is repaired and you want to do this through, um, I know in the Joshua Connection we have um, uh, crisis intervention intake forms, right? So, yeah, um, and this is so much, this this is why I really feel God's putting me and Linda back together again because she's got this other part, She's work, she was working between the Innocence Project, uh, confronting injustice, her and her uh, fiance show, and at the same time, um, uh, the Innocence Project, the the, uh, the uh, advocacy that's coming from that, that taps into um, you know bringing up um, code cases and and look you know and, and getting the you know people connected to the right authority and to make sure to make sure that appeals are happening. And everything else so um, yeah so then we have the victim services victim support uh, person-centered groups um, that is going to be part of repairing the victim um, in restoring the uh, justice in restoring justice for the victims of crime and everything um, or or wrongful incarceration okay um, and uh, the offenders, acknowledgement of responsibility if you found to be guilty and obligation to repair the harm. Um, and then um, that is going to, it's a, it's a pretty much, it's a tall order. It's at the bottom of the Venn diagram, but um, there, you know, that, that they will focus on support to fulfill obligations, the therapeutic services, and reintegration into society. So that's the other side of this. And then um, the safe, free, and informed consent, culturally sensitive. So these are the things that, you, you know, both the victim and the offenders, um, uh, people working with them have to make sure that it's, that the, you know, as they are, Developing the offenders to go to be reintegrated in back into the um, society, uh, it's going to have to be make sure that society is safe, and uh, that um, that uh, the people working with these offenders are culturally sensitive, especially if they're coming from, you know, other racial or the ethnic backgrounds. Um, and um, that there's a collaborative agreement um, put in place and you know, free and informed consent. The other one um, is that uh, they're going to make sure that to um, support to fulfill obligations, therapeutic, therapeutic services, and reintegration. I think it said all that. Um, as the, you know, the people that 
did the abuse and the crime acknowledges uh, the responsibility that they had in that in obligation to repair the harm. Now, uh, the communities of care, uh, you know, they have to go back into something. So responsibility to create safe and healthy communities for these individuals to learn uh, better ways of, of um, coping. Um, obligation for is for recovery to understand what the idea is to you know in in these healing circles what it's all about and then address the root causes of of crime. Now for those um, that uh, have been wrongfully incarcerated, that to, to be honest with you, that um, is a little bit um, more difficult. I mean, I I feel that that should be its own group. But Linda's going to talk about how um, there's a part to being um, wrongfully incarcerated that because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there's, uh, uh, she talks about, um, and I don't remember what the term she uses, but if you, you know, go to the second half of the hour, she, it, it's, it's when groups of people are you know, together and um, they, uh, what, just because one person commits the crime, they all, uh, in some cities, and um, they all seem to uh, go to jail together, even if only one person says so they look at it as uh, a collective, uh, they look at it as a collective whole that uh, instead of just going for the individual, um, and having the individual be accountable for what they did. Um, yeah, it's like guilt by association, but really in this country, um, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be, you are innocent until proven guilty, but not for some cultures, okay? So where we want to go for restorative justice um, is uh, is to for ongoing community conferencing, Restorative dialogue and peacemaking circles. Okay, so Linda's going to talk more about that, and uh, hope that you, you know I didn't bore you or anything. But I think this is something that's needed because um, if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of fake news out there. A lot of people uh, feel that you know because of relativism um, that they can say anything they want. You know, at any drop of the um, the hat and uh, it, it, anything they say is true but um, it really is not you know especially if the truth is twisted into a lie okay all right so without further ado let's get into it let's go after this topic let's get after it restore to justice any innocent project okay God bless you, and happy Thanksgiving. My child, you're broken down and tired of living life on a merry-go-round. You can't seem to find the fighter within you, but I see it in you so. We're gonna walk it out and move mountains. We're gonna talk it out and move those mountains. We're gonna walk it out and move those mountains.
And I'll rise up, I'll rise out the day, and I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid, and I'll rise up, and I'll do it a thousand times again. And I'll rise up, highlight the ways, and I'll rise up in spite of the pain, and I'll rise up. And I'll do it a thousand times again for you. feels like it's hard to breathe and I know you feel like dying but I promise we'll take the world to its feet and move those mountains and bring the world to its feet and move those mountains and move those mountains and I'll rise up I'll rise up the day and I'll rise up I'll rise unafraid and I'll rise up And I'll do it a thousand times again For you, oh Lord, for you the day and I'll rise up in spite of my pain and I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again and we'll rise up highlight the ways and we'll rise up in spite of the pain and we'll rise up and we'll do it a thousand times again This is Dr. Shirley here. I'm um, doing a, uh, a spotlight um, on um, restorative justice. And I am here 
with my friend and colleague of 37 years, Linda Solomon. Um, we go way back. We uh, we met each other when I way back in the what the 1970s mm-hmm. uh, when we were um, students at Worcester State College. Now it's Worcester State University, and we both uh, we were majored majoring in psychology, and uh, and yeah, yeah, and we we were also in the Upward Bound program. You were a leader. I I noticed a leadership. Um, potential in you because you were always in the director role. You worked with Sid Buxton, mm-hmm. Gloria, uh, Gloria Leslie, Leslie. Mm-hmm. and uh, and I was always thinking that you already had your PhD. <laughs> I did. I'm like you carried yourself quite well here. Thank I was you. stumbling, you know, trying to you know you know was praying in the background. God, I know you know I. Obviously, it's out of my family then, and uh, I'm like, as soon as I have this baby, I I want to you know do what Linda's doing. <laughs> I didn't even know we were yeah the same. We were pretty much you were just doing what you thought was natural, you right. know, mm-hmm. you know, just you yeah. being you. So now years later, well, can you share with the listening audience? What you've done since you know we connected, mm. and um, and what brought you to want to be an advocate for restorative justice? Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, let me say first, it's a pleasure to be here with you, chatting after all these years. All these years. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it's interesting because we met in college. Yes. At the beginning of our professional life. And I was a stutterer. I, I would never ever dream of interviewing you. I thought you would probably interview me. Isn't that interesting <laughs> how the world turns, huh? Yeah. Wow. Um, and so now here I'm retired. You're retired. We. Mm-hmm. I'm a chaplain. We never really fully retired, do no, we? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. We're just doing what we really want to do. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So from Worcester State, I, um, you know, went on, um, got my master's degree, got married, had children. And what was your master's in, if you don't um, mind? Education. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's education. right, the teacher. I thought I wanted to be... Um, a high school teacher? No, an administrator, actually. I have, was working at an alternative school. The principal, mm-hmm. um, Victor Diaz, actually, who's mm-hmm. probably um, a superintendent somewhere out in the world, mm-hmm. um, but was the principal, and he said to me that he was leaving, and he thought I'd be ideal for that position, mm-hmm. but I would need my um, advanced degree in education. The so, what was that? That was a doctor of education or no, a um, um, certificate of advanced master's in education. Okay, I'd already had a master's, but it was not an education. Right, right, so right, right. I went back to school, education leader, leadership, leadership. So I went back to school, got that, mm-hmm. um, and then decided to move out of state. So I never became a school leader. Mm-hmm. What state did you move? Georgia. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I left, bought, we bought a home, and oh my taught gosh. in Georgia for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where you raised your family for the most part? Or? Well, mm, for about, we stayed there for about four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and um, and then came back here just for a visit. And mm -hmm. while I was here, I was offered a position in the Boston Rural School System. So we'd be located back to um, Boston. Mm -hmm. um, I was married at the time, and my husband had health issues, and the health care was really way a disaster more here. Right. right in Georgia, the health care was oh yeah yeah disastrous yeah. Yeah. So um, we moved back to Boston mm -hmm. and, um, you know, was offered a position mm -hmm. and was involved in teaching. We came from a year with restorative justice, sort of stumbled into that. Um, but not really. I remember you telling me that um, you were really big into, into human rights and you taught your students the 30, uh, asked me, a lot of people don't know that, that there's 30, you know, um, parts to the human rights oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that we the should know. Of, um, right. The Declaration of, of Human, human rights. rights. Right, right. Yeah, there's 30 of them. And, I mean, we're trying to figure out what the civil rights part is, <laughs> right? Which only contains, you know, the, the 30, the Declaration of Human Rights only contains, uh, what I would like to say that at the maximum three mm -hmm. civil rights, right, three. I mean, when you, a lot of people do relate mm -hmm. civil rights in America to politi anything political. Mm -hmm. So, but there are more basic human rights that we need to be aware of. Absolutely. Every person that works in the arena of social justice needs to teach, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to teach the, the people that they are working with what the human rights are. Absolutely. And so that you were big on that with your students. Well, you know what, I, you know, being a black female, mm -hmm. growing up in a predominantly white area, mm -hmm. I was keenly aware of um, the difference in treatment. Yes. And so, um, and especially after I had children, I, it, I became um, really passionate about um, People knowing about their culture and their yeah. history. Yes. Um, and basically, it's I became passionate about people knowing their foundation because you, the foundation is the it's, it's like the roots. Yes. yes. Of a tree. I use that analogy. So if your roots are strong, mm -hmm. if there's a strong wind, you'll be able to withstand it. Yes. And if you don't have if the tree does not have strong roots, then you are subject to fall over, be knocked over, stomped on. And yes. so I became passionate about um, education, human rights, civil rights. And then my experience of going to a predominantly white school, that was not, um, like I have some experiences as a child that were not, um, that were not, um, didn't sit well with me, that were traumatic. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, I lived in Rosendale, um, I don't know what grade I was in, maybe second or third but I'm allergic to milk. I have a lactose yeah. intolerance. And I remember routinely sitting, being, I would have to sit outside the class after lunch until I drank that milk. Oh, oh gosh. Um, so I don't know if they didn't believe me or what, but I remember at some point my I thought my, you my were being rebellious. I, yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. um, but I remember sitting outside the classroom, mm -hmm. not being allowed to go back into the classroom because I didn't drink the milk. Wow. wow. Um, just as an example, another was mm -hmm. this adult white woman held me so her son could call herself beating me up. Um, so I, um, 
but I had a very strong, um, both of my parents um, are strong individuals, particularly my father, and I think his... Um, you didn't want you to run away from those negative feelings. You oh, wanted no. to use it proactively. Yeah, he, bal he to balanced develop that out character. for me. Yeah. That negative, the negative things that I experienced, mm -hmm. he balanced it out for me knowingly or unknowingly because he was a very strong mm -hmm. black male. Right. Who... Knew who he was. He knew who he was. Yep. And I remember the family, the woman who held me, she lived on the first floor. Her family lived on the first floor, her husband, her children. We lived on the third. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what my father said or did because... It wasn't that in front of me, but they moved like a week later. Wow. So he he balanced it out for me. I had these negative things, but then I had this strong male influence that I looked up to. Mm -hmm. So I grew up not being intimidated or, or afraid of um, white people. Right, right, right. Um, I didn't think I was better than or less than, but certainly mm -hmm. not a fear. Okay. So my father provided a strong role model served as a strong model for me. Yes. And so although I experienced negative experiences, I also had the benefit of having someone who was lifting me up, who mm -hmm. I saw as strong with character. And so that um, is part of who I am. And so yeah. the whole social justice, protecting others, sticking up for people yes. who... Um, Are I marginalized. Thought, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, was just yeah. I just grew up with those um, with those those values yes. that way of being. Yeah. Um, so when I became te when I became a teacher, mm -hmm. um, I always recognized the importance of building students up, building emotionally, the yeah, yeah, socially and emotionally as mm -hmm. well as academically. Yes. Yeah. Um, because if you don't have the self-esteem and confidence built up. There's no way on earth they're going to perform to their Absolutely. best potential Absolutely. academically. Right. You know. That's right. Yeah. Well, education should mm -hmm. be holistic. Yeah. And so I did my teaching and became a literacy specialist. Mm -hmm. Very became very steeped in restorative justice and circle work, mm -hmm. and believe very um, much in the power of. Um, Circle work, restorative justice work. So, what is circle work? If you can, um, restorative just circle work is a restorative justice is an ancient, um, and it, it is an indigenous practice, mm -hmm. and it's the way people lived before the introduction of the European white world view of um, what we see today. Right, right. Um, and it's a valued based way of being. And it, you know, everyone is regarded as valuable, having value. No matter what culture you're from. No matter what culture you're from. Mm -hmm. um, the belief is that everyone has a core self that is good, wise, and powerful. Yes. And the closer you are or you stay to that core self, the happier and healthier you'll be. Okay. Um, but the practice involves um, sitting in circle. Mm -hmm. We have a talking piece. Um, and we... Um, I actually give our full attention to whoever has a talking piece. Okay. Whoever has that talking piece has the opportunity to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and we're um, and we're exercising self-regulation by 
giving our full attention to whoever's speaking at the time. So is that for the f entire circle play? Or well, is it so we sit in a circle. Yes. And we um, generally will talk about some issue, something. It yes. could be a community building circle mm -hmm. focused on building community. It could be a healing circle. It could mm -hmm. be conflict resolution circle. I mean, that was the way the indigenous people lived. Mm -hmm. They celebrated and they did everything in circle. Mm -hmm. Celebrating life, celebrating, acknowledging um, death and anything in between. Okay. They sat in circle. There's no boss in the circle. There is a circle keeper, but there's no boss. Okay. Like, there's no I in team. No one person is more important than another. Mm -hmm. So is there one person that um, designates the, who that person's going to be for the entire time, or is it in, you know, 15-minute uh, increments? Or okay. so, yeah. And then did you just um, practice? It was a circle keeper who was mm -hmm. usually um, probably an elder, okay. someone who was wise. Um, and now for circle keepers, there are people who are just trained in the practice. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. Although it's been tweaked beyond measure, I believe that um, being staying as close to the indigenous practice as possible is the best way to go. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and circle keepers, people who've been trained, who've sat in circles and have experience, are the ones who lead the circles. Okay. And this facilitator or circle keeper um, may pull pose the questions, make sure that we are, um, there's no cross-talking, that there are a set of norms that are established before the yeah. circle begins, yeah. um, and we just, and the circle facilitator is the one who makes sure that there is, um, that the circle is maintained with efficacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We live in a society where people don't wait to talk. They listen to respond. They're not listening to hear, right? And so... I use the term self-regulation mm -hmm. earlier because in order to sit in a circle, you have to exercise self-regulation. And self-regulation, by the way, is a precursor to lifelong success. Yes, yes. So being able to sit in a circle and hold what you have to say until mm -hmm. the talking piece comes to you requires a self-discipline. Wow. Well said, Linda. And that, that's no matter... How old we are, or how educated we are, we you know we we all need to revisit mm -hmm. that paradigm for um, you know meet in circle because now we we look at Zoom you know which is which is a byproduct of the mm -hmm. pandemic and everybody's mm -hmm. always doing this circle play digitally right mm -hmm. virtually and uh, and I've always admired the way that you conduct that you know you you put forward your your best effort when you're when you are hosting these um workshops and something's coming up um next week yes mm -hmm. we um we launched a year long series yes about um trauma okay Understanding and healing from trauma. Okay. And it's a year-long series that meets the first, on the first Wednesday of each month mm -hmm. from 7 to 8.30. And it's Zoom, and it's open to the public. Mm -hmm. 
And we are doing this because I don't think I've met anyone who's not experienced some level of trauma. Just living in this day and age, in this world at this time, Absolutely. with all the wars and rumors of wars, right. and the shootings right. in our backyard, you know, mm -hmm. and watching that day in and day out on the news. Absolutely. It's just enough. It, it's beyond enough. Yeah. So we have our personal experiences with trauma. We have historical trauma. We have racial trauma. We mm -hmm. have, as you said, just the everyday watching the news can be traumatic. And it, it, go ahead. And trauma is, you know, things happen that cause trauma. Mm -hmm. But and trauma lives in our body. Trauma can change the shape of our brain. Yes. Trauma, it, trauma is real. And more people than not do not talk about the trauma that they've experienced. Right. And it's important for people to recognize that trauma, the impact of trauma does not dissipate. It doesn't mm -hmm. evaporate. It doesn't just go away on its own. It digs deep. It digs deep and it mm -hmm. finds a place to settle in your body. Yes. And if you're lucky, you won't end up with... Um, life-threatening illnesses. However, yes. trauma, if it's not addressed, will wreak havoc in your life. Yeah. At some point, it will. And so, thus we have this year-long series because mm -hmm. people need to become more comfortable with the idea of talking about their trauma, walking through that journey of um, to, to healing and wellness. Yes, yes. In traditional Chinese medicine, um, we have a, a saying that actually when a person is always undergoing chronic trauma, um, it actually, what they call, um, it stagnates the blood. Mm -hmm. And the blood is the basis of life and the, the life force. And what, you know, it, and it's usually... Um, precipitated by stress, too much stress. Mm -hmm. So stress can actually constrict the blood and can cause stagnation. And a mm -hmm. lot of cancer, mm -hmm. a lot of people, that's why people are prone to cancer. It is, you know, they can get this blood clump and, you know, it, it could reshape the cells. The cells are part of the mm -hmm. nervous system. So I'm pretty much confirming absolutely what, what you have said mm -hmm. through the ancient wisdom in practicality of traditional Chinese medicine. Absolutely. And so that's why we, you know, we do acupuncture to release those, you know, the energy to get the blood to flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and usually in an environment where there's, it's pretty relaxed with music yeah. and, and, and things like that. Major, yeah. major, major. Like yeah. Trauma can cause lesions on the brain. It can change the shape of the brain. They can, mm -hmm. you know, especially well, I won't say especially, but adverse childhood experiences, yes. depending on the intensity of them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can has implications for health outcomes as adults, even I mean, intergenerational. Absolutely, you know. So it has to be. Yeah, right? people can choose to not address it. However, um, it always comes out to bite you in the end. If not you. 
the people that are closest to you will be impacted by right, it. Right, right. The, um, the children that you rear. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So if you've experienced some level of some trauma that's mm -hmm. um, not been addressed, it will behoove you to do that. Yeah. And, and if you don't do it for yourself, do it for your loved ones because. Mm -hmm. So when is when is this group? What time is this group? And we meet. Mm -hmm. The group started um, in September. We started um, with um, Dr. McClary, who is the um, author of a documentary called The Work. The Work. The Work. Okay. Um, so we started in September. We'll run through. Till n until next September, we meet the first Wednesday of each month mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from 7 to 8.30. And if people are interested in checking it out, you can um, check out our email at um, Sankofa Empowerment Group okay. at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And we'll have the schedule there. Okay. Or you can How are we spelling it? Sankofa? S-A-N-K-O-F-A at gmail.com. All right, great. So, so th that is the the healing aspect. You're mm -hmm. gonna the, the healing journey. Right. Is there something else that's happening at the end of the month? Yes, we okay. have um, a small group of us started a nonprofit called Confronting Injustice. Okay. And Confronting Injustice is a nonprofit organization that um, supports wrongfully convicted individuals mm -hmm. and others who've been adversely impacted by judicial and systemic racism, okay. bias, and discrimination. Oh, I, uh, okay. We have, um, there are a lot of men and women who in the past few years have been exonerated, which means that they've been wrongfully convicted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of them have spent 30, 40, 20 years in jail for things they did not do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and we, and typically what happens is when they are released, they sort of just booted out mm -hmm. um, with not, like, not many resources. Um, in some instances, they don't even have an ID. Okay. Wow. And um, again, systemic racism. Yes. If you've been incarcerated for a week, the system, the judicial system knows who you are. Right. So when you are released from prison, wrongfully convicted or otherwise, you should at least have an ID. Yes. Because without an ID, you cannot get a job, you cannot get anything. You can't right. even prove who you are. Yes. So systemic racism, systemic bias, discrimination, racism, um, and we're not just talking about people of color. Mm -hmm. If you're white and you're poor, you were subjected to the same... The same thing. The same thing. Yeah, because now we're not only just dealing with structural racism or... Um, it's just a so, there's a socioeconomic... Um, I don't want to call it racism because it's, it goes it's beyond discrimination. that. It's discrimination. discrimination based on socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, yeah, you mentioned something there that was a, you know... Uh, you mentioned something about taking the ID, and I thought about identity. When a person gets convicted, do they take away their ID? Well, if someone is convicted, they go through the criminal, they don't take away the ID necessarily, but if you, know, they don't. But when someone is arrested, they take confiscate everything. 
Right. But when you're incarcerated, yes, this institution, um, like there's no need for them to be carrying an ID, but they right. know who they have locked up. Right. 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 Um, yeah. So the confronting injustice at the last Wednesday of the month, we yeah. meet and we talk about post-incarceration syndrome and related topics. Okay. And we try to we give voice to those who who are rendered voiceless. Yeah. In the right. system, like there are a lot of cold cases, or for example, if say. 20 men and women have been exonerated this year. That means there's 20 cold cases. Mm -hmm. 20 people who went to jail for something they did not do. And as a result, the real perpetrators... Are out there. Are out there. Yeah. And never does the family members of, say, a murder victim... For example, like, it's a cold case. Yeah, right, right. People, what is a cold case? Yeah, it's something that... There's no resolve. Oh, let me yeah. give you an example. Mm -hmm. So James Watson, for example, spent 41 years in jail for a crime he did not commit. And that's your friend. Yes. Yes. His co-defendant was 16 when he was arrested. James was 20. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Accused of killing a cab driver. Okay. Um, 41 years, like 38 years for his co-defendant, who was only 16 at the time. Mm -hmm. um, when they were exonerated... That well, one of the reasons why he was exonerated was because the innocent New England Innocent Project became involved. Yes, they hired a detective, John um, Nazi, um, Nadizi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He did his investigating, did his research, and realized that um, there was prosecutorial misconduct okay. involved. That the prosecutor. Um, who asked for the death penalty at the time and was granted the death penalty, he be invited under the death penalty. But they discovered that the district attorney at the time um, asked um, someone to lie. And the person that, um, the hypnotist, said that he would not do that. Mm -hmm. But that letter, that documentation was left in the file. Wow. Um, the person, James is, um, the person that he was seeing at the time, mm -hmm. the district attorney and the police harassed her, convinced her to lie, and then moved to it to a different state until it was time for her to go to court to testify against James. Okay. She never recanted. However, she told her family members that she lied. Mm -hmm. And so these are, so prosecutorial misconduct, police misconduct. Right. And that's how James and his co-defendant were released. But he lost 41 years of his life. Wow. Wow. Um, so those are, um, those are examples of things that happen and that those are not isolated incidents. Tell me more about the Innocent Project and, and, and how long, you know, is, is this a national movement or is it an international? It's an international organization. Okay. Um, we have the New England Innocent Project here. We have people, we have the... New Innocent Project in different Asian countries. It's all over the place. Wow. It's, and, and what is the main purpose of the Innocent Project? You, you, you alluded to some uh, how so it helped in this situation. That they think um, where there's been a wrongful conviction. Okay. And there have been hundreds, hundreds of men and women who have been exonerated across right. the country and outside of the country. 
Mm -hmm. um, and it, so it's rampant. And you know, think about it. Back like 30 years ago, even now, you know, people are going to jail. You see the, you see the misconduct. You see the. They're, they're getting, even getting pulled over unjustly. Uh, by, now, by, you know, and right. being mistaken for right. criminals. So what happened yeah. way back, 20 like, this case with James? Yes. And I let me finish telling you his. When the investigator did the research, took the research to the cab driver's family, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they realized that James and Freddie were not the ones who killed their brother. Okay. And so they went to James's aide and said, mm -hmm. "We have to. We recognize that we there was a miscarriage of justice, and they helped mm -hmm. him get out mm -hmm. of jail." But for his, their family, there's no. It's a cold case. Right. They're, they didn't. They weren't looking for anyone else. They weren't looking for the right people. Mm -hmm. James and his co-defendant didn't even fit the description. Wow! Wow! But wow. so injustice for them, for James and Freddie, injustice for the um, family of the young man who was brutally murdered. Oh, you know wow. that's a cold case. They didn't. They weren't looking. And at this point, forty years later, they'll never find out. They'll never have justice for what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so. That but, they family, knew, but they knew who did it. They knew it wasn't James and Freddie. Right, right. Because they, right. they didn't fit the description. Yeah, right, right. And let me repeat again. The district attorney mm -hmm. asked for the death, that James be indicted under the death penalty. He yeah. wanted him put to death. When he knew that he, one, didn't fit the description. Wow. Two, um, there was just a number of, a number of, like there were no witnesses. Right, there, there was, was no evidence. There was no DNA. There was nothing. Nothing. No them. evidence was lining up. Right. Right. So 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 when um, um, when I was talking to James, you know, when we were you know, when we first met up with y'all, um, you were talking. To, James was talking about, or you were talking about how James. How did he, how did he connect with the Innocent Project? It, it, was he doing research on his own? Okay. He was doing his own research, but mm -hmm. his co-defendant um, had a friend who was a chaplain, I believe, okay. at MCI Norfolk. Mm -hmm. And um, the chaplain heard his story and just knew there was something wrong with that story. Okay. And he um, connected with the Innocent Project. And then, of course... Once Freddie was exonerated, or they realized that his case was steeped in misconduct, okay, in judicial misconduct, mm -hmm. they then a year or two later looked at James's case. Wow! Mm -hmm. Wow! Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, I'm, I'm I'm glad that the Innocent Project is there. Mm -hmm. um, I think more should be spoken about it and Absolutely. taught about it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the post-trauma that it's um, wreaked uh, in, the, in the lives of these people who have been wrongfully incarcerated, mm -hmm. never mind of just being incarcerated, you know, unjustly maybe, you know, the same crime that, you know, a person that is not of color committed they're, you know, they they get probation, but somebody of color would get incarceration, right, for listen. so many years. Uh, listen, it's, it's the, so let me go back to, so Confronting Injustice is a nonprofit concerned with those kinds of issues, right, yes. supporting men and women and, you know, addressing joint venture and the over-sentencing and all of that. And What's so joint venture? Joint venture yeah. is, for example, 
if you and I and two other friends of ours go out mm -hmm. and um, someone is harassing me and I hit somebody with a bottle and that person happens to die, not only will I go to jail, but you and I, the two other people that we, all of us go to jail and we're all convicted for the same crime. Okay. Even if you didn't know that like, you had nothing to do with what I did. My, right. my actions You were just nothing. in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. You yeah. just happened to be there. Um, you would all be indicted under the same, if this person died, it's murder. Right. Not just me for my individual actions for which you had no knowledge of. Yeah, yeah. That's joint venture, and that's uh -huh. what's happening to it. There are a lot of men sitting in jail, and women too, sitting in jail to date. Because for crimes venture. they did not commit. They right. had no knowledge of the crime. But that's another form of systemic and judicial racism. Right, right. And if you think about it, how do you, like, how can you be held accountable for something that I did? Right. That you had no, you were, we weren't playing, we were just out for, to, you know, for an evening. That's right, that's right. You know, when it boils down to this one particular fact in reality when we were over 18 my mother always told me you know when you're when you're an adult anything that you do you're accountable for she always had this understanding that before 18 the, it, the parent mm. the fault lies in the parent mm. so how did this get so skewed when, you know, people are over 18 and all of a sudden, you know, people are going to jail because of one person's crime. Mm -hmm. And the other people did not, maybe they didn't agree with it. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know. They didn't just happened to be there. Like, right, right, right. You know, yeah. It's just another form of, um, it's just another form of judicial injustice, racism, mm -hmm. discrimination, bias. Now, if you're black, you're you're much more likely to be indicted under the joint venture, mm -hmm. right? But if you're white, they wouldn't call it a joint venture. They would call it something else. Okay. So all of... Like accomplice or... Or that, something that no. doesn't hold the same weight. Right, right, right. If you yeah. look at the statistics and I, you know, mm -hmm. coverage, challenge, check it out. Mm -hmm. Joint mm -hmm. venture is used much more often on black and brown boys. I happen to know a situation my daughter made me aware of um, that um, somebody she knew was a troublemaker, and you know they they would when they were teenagers they would always harass these girls, and mm -hmm. at one point he they collaborated a, a rape, but because this person's family was well known in a certain area, mm -hmm. they did plea bargaining with the judge. And um, sent this other sent this person in their family somewhere down south, you know, out of the limelight, and they somehow. And I feel sorry for the victim because they made it so that the, the you know they they look they made it look like that that lady, you know, I mean or the girl was um, making it up or lying. Okay. They lied about. Mm -hmm. A lot of things, but then, as they're talking about their life, 
they're admitted to doing the act mm -hmm. by not going to jail for it. Yeah, yeah and this person and I mean, this person was not a person of color. Yeah, you know. So, so you know, it's like, where is that? Why the double double standard? You know, it's like a. It listen. See, at the end of the day, right? As a chaplain, at the end of the day, as a chaplain, as a believer. When we all know that we weren't put here on this earth by accident, it was by God. So um, the the point that I was making was that uh, you know at the end of our life we're going to be accountable for everything that we put out before our Maker, and so none of this baloney about double standards is going to you know is going to be part of the plan there. And I think that as society moves forward, we should really, really look at these circumstances and situations, not from the standpoint of, you know, um, maintaining the law, but how about this um, for the spiritual, the spiritual, um, mm. spirituality, of doing what's right, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. of doing what's right. Uh, the spirituality of, of the human person. We are spirit beings. Well, I have to tell you, <laughs> slavery, mm -hmm. I think just the perpetrators of slavery used the Bible to justify everything, everything that they did. Yeah. So, or misused, I, or misused, misused the Bible. Bible. That's right. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. So it's interesting. I don't. I, I don't. I don't understand that level of inhumanity. Yeah. I just yeah. it's beyond my comprehension. Yeah. yeah. I just. Yeah. Don't understand it. Yeah. Why? This. Well, we know greed. The desire for control, power, and control. Mm -hmm. It's money over morals. Yes. Which yes. has always been the case. Right. However. Um, I always come back to the idea of that level of inhumanity. Where is that coming from? Like, well, like, so we, we know if you talk about spiritual things, we, we know it's coming from the evil one. Right. You know, but in different shapes well, and we forms. We might not want to go down that rabbit hole because... No, we're not if it, well, because, <laughs> like, who... Who, Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, and yeah, who who the perpetrator of all the this, like the slavery, the abuse, the right. rape, the just the inhumanity, like yeah, like well, it's a, it, it's the evil influences that people put themselves under. Now think about how slavery came about. Uh, these explorers would go to. You know, to the, you know, to Africa, different parts of Africa, um, they saw these strong warriors and mm -hmm. who were mighty princes and kings of of their tribes, mm -hmm. and uh, there was also some of those tribes were also wanting to be rich mm -hmm. as well, and right. so they would um, in roots. I remember seeing this. Um, you know, they would sell some of their warriors. They would make bargains. Right. But they thought that they were going to 
honor the tribes, you know, by doing that. But these other explorers were um, getting also some feedback from where they came from that they were looking for people to work the lands and everything else. And and then they would um, they would knock them out with opium. Right. This started in the 1600s in the opium trade, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that was an evil. Absolutely. The love of money and the drug drug war. That's a real drug war. They, you know, people were were forced to come to this country to you know, be. Uh, slave, others. Serve, serve, serve others. others for no no money at all, you right. know, and they were drugged mm-hmm. doing that, and that has an impact on intergenerations, you know. Absolutely. You know, you know, it's interesting that I hear I hear people say, well, Africans enslaved other Africans, and they absolutely did. However, at the same time, yeah. The the yeah. distinct the distinguishing factor, or probably many factors, but one is that the type, the level of inhumanity, the level of inhumanity that was exercised here in the United States mm-hmm. and in other um, places, the intent was to create a, a group of imbeciles, right? And that was the intent: strip them of everything. Um, the level of well, that's what they perceived. But they knew somewhere along the line that there was a, a lot of intelligence with the with the, with the slaves that they enslaved, and that when they real when they saw this and they saw that they could read and they could write, if you taught slaves, mm-hmm. men or women, to to read or write, that um, that that would be probably uh, you know it would raise suspicions like oh we can't. We can't have them do that. They'll be, they'll know more uh, than we do. I mean, they were building railroads. You know, they were doing things that were, they were showing evidence of highly skilled Well, let me labors. tell you this. Let me say this. You, you will hear about slaves being, having to go through a seasoning yes. to break them down so that they would be subservient. Right. You seldom hear about slaves having to be trained to do anything. Right. When they came here. That's right. Right? Yeah. And the the level of in Africa when they would take a slave, yeah. those slaves they would they were slave they would serve their slaves at but the, they at some point could buy their freedom, earn their freedom yes, or yes. you know, live up initially. Yeah. The, yeah. It wasn't this mm-hmm. type of inhumanity that was here. Being right. whip, rape, torture, mutilate. Right. That right. wasn't what was happening in other places. Yeah. Well, even this, in England, in England, it, the first um, abolishment, you know, the, you know, the, when there was abolition movement, like, that actually, when they were found out, you know, this is not the right thing to do. We had John, the John Wesleys of the day, you know, to talk against this, um, that all men were created equal. So, you know, in England, in that whole region, they understood the value of indentured servants, and when they brought them initially over here during the you know the the Mayflower Compact, that they started out. This is anybody that comes over here that works for a family, you know, can work for seven years by their freedom, but then somewhere along the line in the six, probably in the late 1600s, it. When it came to people of color, it just seemed that it was 
you know, in this country, in America, mm-hmm. it just seemed that that they loosened up the morals and they they did other things, you know. Um, yeah, there were no morals. No. It was the level of yeah. the the rape, the torture, the mutilation, all of that stuff was beyond comprehension. And people, yeah. we have this thing, critical race theory, or some people think we shouldn't talk about it because it will make others uncomfortable, is is beyond my comprehension as well. That's beyond my comprehension if too. History, yeah. If it happened, then we should be able to talk about it. If it makes right. people uncomfortable, oh well, maybe you need to be uncomfortable because this is our history. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it is what it is. And so I don't prescribe mm-hmm. one moment to this whole critical race right. theory idea. It's Me insane. Yeah. So what who do we, decides? What, who decides what part we leave out? Yeah. You know about so. you know about Faneuil Hall, right? Absolutely. In Faneuil Hall, that was where the um, uh, the African the Slaves Africans, were brought in. yeah, they were brought in and they were sold. It was a place where An they auction. were it auctioned, the auction block. And it, the guy that you know that's named after, he was the one that financed it. Well, he purchased that the Finu Hall, the area now known as Finu Hall. Yes, he purchased Peter that land. Yeah. Peter Faneuil. He purchased that land with the sale of a. The proceeds up from the sale of a slave boy. Okay. Right. He was a he was a slave trader. He was a slave merchant. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been a fight for many years because many people, including myself, believe that um, um, he, he is not a person that should be revered. Right. There were exactly. about exactly. There about I'll say a hundred businesses down there, mm-hmm. maybe more. Mm-hmm. Not one of them is black owned. Not one. Wow. And that is like the number among the top two or three tourist spots mm-hmm. in Boston. All so, over the world. That's where they go. Yes. And yeah. so the government, the city officials here in Boston seem to be more concerned with money over morals. Yes. Because the, in my mind, in my judgment, there should not be a debate about whether that name is changed or not. Right. It's a stain on the fabric of... The history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. and the people who are um, in leadership positions have the opportunity to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And for the past almost six or seven years, they've chosen to disregard it, mm-hmm. probably hoping that the issue will go away. It's not, no. but it's not going to go away. No, um, no, it's but not. just what statement does that make about like it? Just it's like a smack in the face, a spit in the like spitting in the face of black people. And like, the white people who care yeah. to think that you don't, it's a, that's okay. Well, the other side of the argument is like there are some people that like, well, you don't want to, you don't want to um, <laughs> bury their history. I'm like, well, who wants to know that we need to go forward from that history, I would say. I mean, I had, I had this conversation about a week ago and uh, with some family members. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name their names. But I was very, very strong about we need to move forward. Yes, they want to change the name. They can. I mean, the, you know, somebody you know got uh, into the one the NFL space about Cleveland Indians, you know, and that was oh no, what the Washington Redskins. Okay. And um, the Washington Redskins, they finally did change the the name. 
because the, the Native Americans were pretty mm. fed up with um, the word mm. redskin, right? Mm. So um, I think in order for any particular, um, uh, you know, country, you know, that had negativity, uh, nonsense such as slavery, you know, um, if they want to move forward, because everybody's always saying, why are they always talking about this racism, structural racism, does critical race say, theory? Does anyone ever say that about the Jewish Holocaust? No. They're trying to do that right now, you know, but, you know, with what what's happened in Israel, you know. Well, no, I'm yeah, talking about yeah, the yeah. Holocaust. No, and nobody that, really that, does. No. no one says, oh, get over that. That happened a long time ago. Right, no, they don't. The slavery, mm -hmm. was it 400 years of slavery? That was up. That was the Black Holocaust. Yes, 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 right? yes, yes. And so they even threw them listen, over ships when they were when they were sick. Listen, yeah. the sharks mm. changed their their pattern in the in the um, the triangular that trade triangle. Yeah, the sharks actually changed. They would follow those ships because bodies were thrown over so frequently. Right, right, like, right, right. Yeah. If people understood. The level of inhumanity that took place. Yes, they would would cause trauma. It would cause them. To, that would probably traumatize them. Yes, but no one wants to hear about that. They don't want to talk about. It. Do you know that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of mulatto babies born? Oh yeah. And do you think that these women who had these babies wanted to be raped? I no. think not. No. But we don't talk about that. No. Right. We don't talk about the fact that women were one of the richest doctors in the world. Mm -hmm. Is a doctor who created the speculum. Okay. And he used, he would use that speculum. He. And that this is for gynecological. Gyne right. Um, so when slave masters yep. couldn't, or didn't, were through with their slave yeah. raping or whatever they were doing, yeah. they would just give them to the doctors. See, mm -hmm. women, they had two, two roles mm -hmm. serve white men. Working on the farm or working in household three, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. workers or serving, right. and typically what would happen is it was not uncommon for women to catch this disease. Maybe because they they say maybe working close to animals, right? But what would happen is they would they would have um, leakage in the bowel, and so yeah. it was not comfortable. Didn't yeah. smell good right. for these um, plantation owners who were raping these women. Yes. So they would give those slave females yeah. to this doctor to do his experimenting on. Okay. And he, like many others, thought that since black women had such a high tolerance for pain, right. that they didn't have to use anesthesia anesthesia yes. when they were experimenting with them. Yeah. Or whenever you have babies. Or yeah. it, right. Yeah. And so this doctor would experiment with women. Wow. And not use any anesthesia. And when the babies, when babies were born, they would do all kind of incredibly insane things like screw things in their head because they thought the head, shape of the head meant something. You yeah. just, you just wouldn't, you just would not believe wow. the things that happened that people had to endure. Yeah. You just, you just wouldn't believe it. Yeah. It's wow. just, but nobody wants to talk about those things. No. So when we talk about reparation. Yeah. Yeah. If, we gotta go to the intergen. We gotta go to the generations. Picture. It's a way it's bigger a, picture than yeah. it's, a, it's a hot. It's a, it's just a hot topic. Yeah, more than hot. It's like it's yeah. flaming. Yeah, and yeah. to the extent that we don't talk about it, 
So the generational trauma, that trauma is in our DNA. It's in our DNA. It affects, you know, the, remember the, um, a while ago there were some social scientists were, that were saying that there was a behavior gene, you know, but why don't they attribute that to the traumas that's caused because of this, the slavery? You see, nobody wants to acknowledge it. They don't really yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, like, it's our problem. It's our problem. It's they their don't problem. really want to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. But the, um, but the trauma is real, mm -hmm. for sure. And it's, for the most part, unaddressed. We don't talk about it. So what are we going to do about it, Linda? Me, say that, you know, you know, we're, I'm coming from the chaplain's position, you know, a woman of color. You're coming from, you know, we've both been highly mm -hmm. educated. I'm just, I'm mm -hmm. going, I'm not saying that you're not spiritual because mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. I, I get that sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, so what would a dialogue that you know is acceptable to everybody look like well you know it's interesting i think that there are um people who um white people there are mm -hmm. people who are non-black who recognize the atrocities they yes. recognize it especially recognize, the younger generation yeah. yeah and they recognize that they're the benefactors mm -hmm. of um of the the inhumanity that was at the hands of their forefathers. Yes. They recognize right, that. Right. And I think, you know, so it's having conversations. It's talking about what really happened. Yeah. If you can't name the problem, then you can't think about fixing it. Right, right. You just can't. Mm -hmm. And at no point in our history that I'm aware of mm -hmm. did people look at the criminal justice system and say, okay, this data back with slave catches, now we're here. At what point did anyone say, this was wrong, let's do something different. Mm -hmm. This was wrong, this was not just, let's try to do better. At what point did that happen? Right, right. I don't think it ever happened. Yeah. And that's why we can see people being mm -hmm. shot in the street like animals mm -hmm. or... It, it didn't happen in regards to slavery, but on some level, like, you know, some of the Christian circles that I, I walk in, a lot of people looking in within their family line, mm -hmm. and and you know they're looking at um, you know, why why we have to do the intergenerational healing, and you know go through the the door of forgiveness and mercy, mm -hmm. but no, but not to you know um, you know put under the rug the actual um, atrocity that was done in the family, but no, you know use you know not use Jesus, but that use the life of Jesus mm -hmm. in, in what he stood for um, in his life, death, and resurrection to walk us through even the, the wounds of the past so that, you know, we can be functioning in forgiveness and then move on, but not to... We get can stuck. forgive, and, but don't get yeah. stuck, you don't know, stuck. and don't hand it down to your generation. Know where you came from, but also look forward to uh, what... what you know, your life could be in the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, and, and that's where, but then this half the church or church body gets it, depending on what denomination, others don't. You know? Well, yeah. again, how, if you can't name the issue, if you can't name yeah. the problem, how can you fix it? Exactly. And most people have no idea yeah. about what that whole slave experience was about or even... Mm -hmm. um, even what's happening today, 
Like the system yeah. is complicit in a lot of it's things. It's broken. The system it's, is broken. It's broken it's, and it's complicit. Yeah, and, and it's political. So anything that is political that doesn't have a spiritual component, you're not going to get the desired results that you would want to get because the, the, the political mindset doesn't understand the things of the spirit. And right. I have to, and let me push back. I think there are some people yeah. who consider themselves spiritual who could really care less about or are not doing any. They know that their plight, they know that there's racism, there's discrimination. But they just it's, keep it under But they rest. choose not to say anything. So you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And there are far too many people who sit back and say nothing and do nothing. And that's why I call the sin of omission. When you know it's right there in front of you and as, a, the blind and, and as a believer, that is not what God put us on this earth for. Right. You know, and mm -hmm. we, we, what we have to understand as individuals is, you know, as believers, as followers of Christ, for, you know, um, is that uh, we are going to be called to be accountable um, in the face of injustice. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, it will fall back on us. And, you know, because in the scriptures it says, Lord, 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 we did this for you, we did that for you. Um, and, you know, do I inherit the kingdom? And he's going to say, you know, I, you know, I never knew you because when I was um, in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was, you know, yeah. thirsty, you didn't give me mm -hmm. to drink. That right there, mm -hmm. <laughs> that is like, that's the gospel, but that's, that's pretty much, yeah. if people just looked at that. Be doers of the word. Yeah. But let me tell you, I think, you know, some people would like, there are people who probably would like to do something but don't know what to do. And they don't we, know who to talk to. Right. And mm -hmm. let me tell you, we, we do this trauma series, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We have Confronting Injustice. We're meeting monthly. We're supporting men and women who are in jail, who are mm -hmm. fighting for their freedom. We're doing and their what dignity. We can. They're and fighting we, for their dignity and integrity. And we they? don't, right. And mm -hmm. we don't receive, we don't have any grants. Mm -hmm. We don't get any donations. We're doing it because it needs to be done. That, right? That's how it is with the Joshua Connection. We're doing yeah. it because it needs to be done. Yeah. You have to write books just to could, get it out. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. It's not that we couldn't use support, even computer savvy people to help us with, but we're doing it because it needs to be done. So you don't yeah. need, you don't have to wait until I get money to do something right. And that's where a lot of people are. You need money to do this. You need money to do that. And it's like, no, you don't. The wealth it is would be nice, but you don't have to sit and wait for that. Because but the wealth is from within. If you exactly. have a person that is full of the integrity and dignity of God, you know who you are, and you know what you carry, and you and you have a plan. That's that's when right. you execute. Right. It. I don't want to say Absolutely. That. I don't like the word execute, but that's where you implement. Right. Implement. Well, the let plan. me say this as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. There, I know there there are many. People who sat on juries, who yes. were jurors, okay. who were fully aware that what was happening was not right. Right. And they sat and they did nothing. And as a result, people are sitting in jail still. Is that the hung jury? Is that what it No. Called? What is it? There have been yeah. witness jurors mm -hmm. yeah. who, um, who have come 
after a number of years, mm. I've said, you know what, something happened when I was a juror and it wasn't right, and I knew it wasn't right, but I didn't say anything. Oh. People have gotten out of jail because of that. Because, wow. So you know, there are many people sitting at home right now who probably were, sit, who were jurors, served as a juror, who witnessed, heard, they knew something wasn't right, but they right. just went along to get along, yeah. or someone lost who's sitting in jail, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so, if you're one of those individuals, it's never too late to come forward. Just like the Emmett Till. Emmett Till, yeah. Emmett Till, yeah. right? That, yeah. that young man lost his life because mm -hmm. of a lie that that woman told. Mm -hmm. And now later in life, she's elderly now, but she admitted that she lied. So wow. it's it's just never too late to you know something is something is sitting in your spirit, mm -hmm. do something about it. That's so, the message. Yeah. Do something about it. And I, I think that a movement I think that the move the, the innocent project is a very, very valuable movement. Absolutely. Because it it does the opposite well, no, it does the opposite of the effect that it has in the African uh, American community, everybody's guilty until proven innocent, <laughs> and it and the law of the land is you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Mm -hmm. Well, supposed to be innocent. Until proven. Yeah, and I have to tell you, if you mm -hmm. look at if you look at the um, New England Innocent website, mm -hmm. you'll see there are there are a lot of faces of color, but there are white faces up there, and yes, and. Asian and like it's not just black people it's That's predominantly true. black and brown right but there was there are white people who get caught up in that as well mm -hmm. for sure one yeah. of our very close friends spent 51 years in jail for something he didn't do I think I met 51, him 51 you did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you did yeah. 51 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. white male yeah um mm -hmm. 51 mm -hmm. they knew that he wasn't the person who committed that murder yeah can you imagine? Come on. No, yeah. every, everybody's actually yeah. affected from what's happening. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then you develop a men you've developed mental health concerns as a result of being in that system. Right, right. Post-incarceration syndrome. Yeah, yeah. That's a real chronic Absolutely. issue there. Absolutely, yeah. With a PTSD component. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, it was nice talking to you about this. I'm looking yeah. forward to, um, to um, having you join us mm -hmm. for our trauma workshops in the post-incarceration. And I'm very, cons you know, I, 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 what my, my heart is for families Absolutely. who are always going, who are prone to trauma and this, this kind of possibility of being wrongfully incarcerated, especially mm -hmm. the the young people, the youth within this, doesn't matter what background, it's the money. If you don't have the money, yeah. you know, it's, um, but, you know, obviously the African-American community is, um, you know, front and most, center and most uh, vulnerable. Right. Well, let me say this. It's interesting that you say if you don't have the money. So if you don't have the money for a good lawyer. Yes. That's it. You're out yeah, of luck. Yeah. But the other thing is now, the trend is that mm -hmm. all these older men who are in prison now who have health issues, yeah. the system is deciding that they have to do something with them. Mm -hmm. So they're letting some of them out. Mm -hmm. But they're filling the jails now with younger people. Mm -hmm. 
the the number of young young men between like eighteen and twenty five or thirty mm-hmm. it shot wow. up like exponentially. Wow. It's wow. a system. It's this it's it's systemic racism. It's yeah. it's privatization of of prisons. It's money. It's who's, money over it's money over more. Who's profiting profiting from private corporations? Really? Private corporations actually there's an organization called Alex. Yeah. Pri- businessmen, um, white businessmen and wealthy people got together and they actually lobby. Like five um was it three strikes you're out? They invest heavily in private prisons. Oh my Wow prisons the, prison people putting people in jail is a money making institution. And yes. it's not happenstance, it's very deliberate and it's mm. by design. And wow. if you question that for one minute, do your research. Check out Alec. White businessmen, lobbyists, spend a lot of money on um Making sure that these prisons are filled. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they make you tremendous money. Tremendous money. Um, so a question to you is, now, since, like, since COVID, prisoners are getting tablets. Where are those tablets coming from? <laughs> How much do they cost? And who's profiting? Right. There's a private industry, um, I forget the name of the company, that provides all the food. Yes. Everything. Like, who are these? These are wealthy people making money off of prison. Not only the people in prison, but if you're in prison, how are you paying for your phone calls? Family members, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so they're not only taking advantage of the men who are in jail, but they're taking advantage of the family members as well. Right? How do prisoners get money to buy a TV when they get when they get paid maybe fifty cents an hour? Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's, right? it's not just those people who are in prison who are being taken advantage of. Yeah. It's their family members as well. Right. Family wow. members yeah. as well. It's and, it, and it's not justice somewhere. It's justice everywhere that is required. Well, we would, th- yes, we would think so. And that's what we got to work on. But if everyone, listen, evil prevails when good people do nothing. Let me that's repeat right. that. Evil prevails when good people do nothing. That's if right. you know, if you know mm-hmm. that something is not right, do something. Yes. We're not telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. Do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every little bit counts. And you know what? That, you know mm-hmm. what that spells? Movement. Movement. Right. Mm-hmm. I had that dream, and now so, I understand. So. I heard. You know, um, I I heard the word move, mm-hmm. movement. God wants a movement uh, of justice, mm-hmm. uh, divine justice, and that's where the Innocent Project is going. Yeah, wow. The Innocent Project confronting injustice. Restoring. We have we have mm-hmm. this in Kofa group. We have um, mm-hmm. actual innocence. Mm-hmm. We have another organization called Soccer and Rock. There are people who are wanting to do something. Yes. Um. And so we just you know people have to do something. Wow. So we're uh, we're we're ending, and I I just love this discussion. Um, it's making me want to you know also go back to those groups mm-hmm. and. 
when I'm called upon to say something, but you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I will defer to you. Mm -hmm. I'm learning. I'm on a learning curve as a chaplain, but uh, representing families. But I, I also, there's a friend of mine, and I like to invite her. She's a colleague of mine. And I'm, you're going to eventually meet her because I told her about you and what you're doing. They do a work of restorative justice. They, they know about the Innocent Project Wonderful. in Canada. Yes. Okay, yeah. and part of their chaplain's curriculum um, mm -hmm. brings, brings the fact, you know, brings to um, the table that chaplains, you know, are also can be in the court system with these families. Good. Okay, and, and, and uh, you know, in the courtroom and, and also in, with the ankle bracelets. They do a lot more with ankle bracelets. They don't believe in sending somebody away into prison for 41 years. So they, they, they do the ankle bracelet. They can live within the environment. And they, the, the role, one of the roles of the chaplain is to put the ankle bracelet on, on and, and visit and then and then okay. and then undo the ankle bracelet when it's time. You know? Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. So uh, that's more of a humane way um, of doing things. But at the same time, you know, um, if a person didn't commit the crime, they shouldn't be doing the time. That's right. And that's where we're going to leave it, folks. And uh, you know, if you want to know more about what uh, Linda is doing with the Innocent Project, you also have um, Linda. Before we go. Um, on YouTube, mm -hmm. you have a channel and you have a show. Yes, okay. we do. It is called Confronting Injustice. Yeah. So if you go to YouTube, yes. type in Confronting Injustice, yeah. you'll see myself and um, my co-host James Watson. Mm -hmm. We are highlighting stories um, that address injustice. Okay. All right. And... Um, we, you can also, I, I, I'm putting, every time they turn out a show, I put it into our, um, ch on our channel, on Faith Talks Live Multimedia, WSTK.TV, but it's, it's Faith Talks Live Multimedia, um, and uh, under Dr. Shirley, and we will, we put their, all of their shows under our playlist, so you can kind of mm -hmm. cut across, it cuts across all um, YouTube channels and playlists. So watch out for Confronting Injustice. Okay. And there's going to be a couple of times I'm going to have Linda on my channel and Linda's going to Wonderful. have me on absolutely, her channel. Absolutely. And uh, this this uh, segment here is for Spotify, but we are definitely going to be really talking more about this because this is a hot topic. This is the topic of the hour with all the war that's raging in the Middle East, and mm -hmm. everybody's talking about human rights. Everybody's talking about, you know, um, just just being there for the other and and stopping, you know, conflicts even if they're before war ever breaks out. But knowing that negotiations is where we need to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So, all right, everybody. Until next time. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. The sweet music here that's softer falls The sun falls still on waters near the waterfalls Seven river streams come together Seven river streams come together
Surging waters flow from paradise Hell rages when we fight with the everlight Weary souls, we bring them back to life With the everlight, with the everlight Let the light burn, let the everlight burn Let the light burn, let the everlight burn Bring them back to life, with the everlight Bring them back to life with the everlight I was deceived by the shade Like the Pied Piper who played A soul to be song, irresistible, irreversible They say A land where all things always seem the same A land without angels, why they call it LA Dark faces pale against our rosy flame The mild-eyed melancholy lotus leaders came I'm Trying to teach y'all how to change the game While they distract the youth, they obscuring the truth Assassinating like weapons that shoot They waging a war against your mind proof Poof, lying and stealing and robbing us blind Then they smile with sharp teeth while we sign on their dotted line If not right Warriors return from war when the kingdom's compromised I fought in a whole other land, now I'm back to my home on the coast side I fought on the seven mountains I've climbed In fact, I've even died seven different times Had to put my broken body in the seven rivers just to bring me back to life Seven different times When the Ankata hit my veins, the nectar of the Everlight Seven different times Brought my weary soul back to life Restored my sound and my sight Now back in my suit of armor and I'm ready to ride Let's find the prisoners of war and bring them back alive with the Everlight the sweet music here, the softer falls As some falls still in waters near the waterfalls Seven river streams come together Seven river streams come together Surging waters flow from paradise Hell rages when we fight with the everlight Weary souls, we bring them back to life With the everlight, with the everlight Oh uh -huh. 